John 3, as we continuing our, our trip through 1 John, we'll be looking at verse 10 through 19 today. I know that's a little bigger chunk than we normally do, and so obviously we're not going to dip down too low and go too deep. But there are several things in this text, just uh, I think, that are, that are just very obvious uh, to us. John is, uh, unlike Paul, John is often not so difficult to understand. He doesn't uh, have many things which are hard to grasp sometimes, but with John, things are often very black and white, rightly, and very on the surface, but the application of those things, the pressing those things down to the joints and the marrow into, the, into our souls, John is a master at that, and the Spirit through John. So I would have that the Lord would help us to that day to, today to that end. If you would stand, let's read together 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 through 19. Receive in faith the good word of the Lord. In this, the children of God... And the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Almighty God, take this word, we pray. Press it into the deep places of our hearts, of our minds. Shape and transform us that we may truly, in every way, more and more be those that love the brethren as you have loved us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, saints. So we... I've entitled this sermon, The Way of Cain Versus the Way of Christ. John sets before us here two very distinct ways. The way of, of hate, of murder, in the heart and the affections that despises the living God, despises the choices, the actions of God and His ways, despises therefore the people of God who are the chosen, elect, favored ones. And on the other hand, that's the way of Cain, and on the other hand, the way of Christ, the way of those that have been chosen, those who are favored, not for any good in them, but because of the sovereign good kindness of, of, of the Father and have been set apart of those who have tasted and seen, as was said earlier, that God is good. They have tasted the love of Christ, and they have seen that it is more desirable than life. There is no greater thing in all the world, brethren, or in the world to come, than knowing the love of Christ 
its width, its breadth, its height, its depth, to know the love of Christ, as Paul says, it surpasses knowledge. To know the unknowable. That's Ephesians 3. But brethren, you know exactly what Paul's talking about, don't you? To know the love of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And it is that love of God for his people. Remind you of verse, chapter 3 of verse 1. Paul, uh, John's whole argument here in this section is hinging on this. He says, behold, what manner? Remember that word, as we said, that word translated what manner. Behold, almost of what country, from what place comes this love that the Father has lavished on us? This, this is unnatural. This is un, unearthly. Nothing on this world can compare. Behold, that supernatural love from within the triune God that they have for themselves. Behold the love that the Father has lavished and shown upon us that we who were dead in trespasses and sins, we who were by nature unloving, unholy, unjust, condemned, strangers, foreigners, and aliens having no hope that we should be called not only brought in to grovel at the table of the Lord but that we you know, that, like Mephibosheth, we should be invited to come and eat at the table of the king. Brethren, that's just not natural. And not only that we should eat there and have the privilege, but that the Almighty has said, I have chosen you and your children's children after you that I would lavish and pour out from you from the riches of the fullness of my grace. And I'm going to use my church, Ephesians 3.10 says, to demonstrate the great wisdom and power and glory of God through the church of which Jesus is the head to the powers and the principalities in the heavenly places through the church. And brethren, that's a high and holy calling. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1 that they may know what is the hope of their calling. They know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe in according with the power that he manifested in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Brethren, that's why our church is called Resurrection Church, because we believe that. In accordance with the power that he exercised in towards Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him in the heavenly places of all, all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named on heaven and earth. And he... Paul says, is the fullness of the body, which is the, him, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Brethren, that's you and me. And all because of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Brethren, the Lord has set his affections on you. And so there's the way of Cain that hates God, hates the people of God, hates the word of God, despises it, loathes it. And then there's the way of Christ, which having been given a new heart and a new affection, having been seized by the power of a great affection, has now been turned to say, I want that, and I want more and more of it, and I want the things of God and the people of God and the kingdom of God, and I do so not to earn God's favor, but precisely because I have it and because I love it. And I want the name of the living God to be glorified and magnified as widely as possible. I want the church to be as full as possible, not that we can have great steeples and make a name for ourselves, but because of the name above all names, the name from which every family in heaven and earth, Paul says in Ephesians 3, has been named. Brethren, it is a serious thing to be called Christians. Don't take that for granted today. We baptize these boys today into the church of Jesus Christ and while their names still on their certificates say John and Caleb brethren in the 
heavenly in, the, in heaven, the Lord God has regarded them. They are Christ's, and Christ is theirs. That is their identity, and that will define their lives as it does yours. So, brethren, I just want to lay out these two before you, and we're going to start just in brief. I just want to address, first of all, ten times as I count them in this text, John says that the goal is that the call is that we would love the brothers or the brethren or, or one another. Now, that may raise a question in your mind. It didn't mind. You know, if John, with all this emphasis on loving the brethren, and you remind you that he said that the goal of this epistle, chapter 5, verse 13, is that we who know Jesus, that we would be assured of the things that we know, and that being assured of these things, being assured that we are in him, we would continue. So this is written so, not, not to, to cast doubt, brethren. The goal of John is not to get you to doubt who you are, but rather to firm you up in it, to help you to see that the beginnings of this eternal life, this eternal love, have in fact laid hold of you, though not perfected, and there's a direction, a trajectory of your life that is moving towards glory. So I want to ask the question, what does it mean to love the brothers? Specifically, I'm just going to kind of lump these first two subpoints together. I'm going to say, first of all, the context of John, you remember, is that this love would be a love for the brethren that would be according to a new commandment. You recall back in chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, as John began this, he says there, I write to no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. And then he says some things in verse 9 through 11, which are very similar to what he says here in our text today. This new commandment was new, and again, this is, Jesus said the same thing in John 13, right? Right, The last thing he said to his disciples right there at his last discourse before he went to the cross, he said to them, a new command, this, uh, this is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 34 to 35. If this new commandment was new then and that the love that was to be exercised toward one another it was to be exercised not because they belonged to the same nation or the same people, but rather because they belonged to Christ and he to them. And the love of Christ which the disciples had seen in Jesus, this would be the testimony to the world as that love which the triune God had in himself was imparted to them and they loved one another the same way. That the world would see the reality of the gospel and of, of the nature of God in and through his church. What makes the commandment new as it is fresh, what makes it renewed, it's not new in time, but new uh, just like when you've, you know, yesterday, we, uh, I was telling my wife earlier this week, you know, uh, in our bathroom at home, it's the same bathroom, but I walked in and it was like there was this scent I hadn't smelled before, and she had put some fragrant oils in there, and, these, uh, and I told her, it's like the bathroom is, it's like a whole new bathroom, right? Now, structurally, it was the same, it was in the same place, but... It was a delightful place to be. I was actually happy to go in there and just sit there and smell the, it was glorious. It, it smelled great. In the bathroom, no less. It was amazing. It was new. It was renewed. Full of, it was full of happiness and joy. The old commandment that they had had from the beginning commanded them to love their neighbor as themselves. That goes all the way back to Leviticus 19, doesn't it? 
Leviticus 19, from the beginning, the law of God had said, love your neighbor as yourself. And this command from the beginning was to be extended not only, not only just to Israelites, but even to the foreigners in their midst. Because in chapter 19, verse 34, just 16 verses later, uh, the Lord commands that foreigners residing among them also must be treated as your native born and commands the Israelites to love them as yourself for you too were foreigners, uh, you too were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And, and Jesus in Luke 10, remember he stated again uh, to, to the, uh, the man that came to him, he says the, the command is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And of course the responsible is who is my neighbor? But the command is the same. You know, you, you, he understood. Yes, this is what the two great commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is as old as the beginning of the, of, the scriptural, of the scriptural testimony. This was the context of the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself then. It's to love whomever I, to whomever you can show mercy and to do, do sincere goodwill toward them because God too shows mercy and his kindness to outsiders and even enemies. That's Jesus' point, you remember in Matthew 5, the last 10 verses where, where Jesus says, you know, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you, right? Do good to those who do evil to you. Overcome, Paul says in Romans 12, 21, overcome evil with good. Brethren, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. And to the question of who is my neighbor, you remember Jesus says, it's not just Israelites, it's Samaritans. In fact, the Samaritan was the most neighborly of all, was he not? But brethren, this new commandment that Jesus gives goes even beyond that. It includes that. But the new commandment goes beyond just loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And it actually commands us to love our brethren as God himself has loved us. It's new in that sense. The love is, is the same, but the source is different. The power is different. To live in self-sacrificing, laboring, spending and being spent, servant love of Christ for his people as the new model among his disciples and his church. John Piper helpfully expounded on what makes the new commandment new. Let me just read to you what he wrote because I fully agree with him. He says, the, the command is new because it's command to live out the love of Jesus. Secondly, the command is new because it's a command to live upon the love of Jesus. To live out the love of Jesus by living upon the love of Jesus. The words... Jesus says, as I have loved you, they contain a pattern for our love for each other as well as the power for our love for each other as brethren and for all those whom Jesus loves. What's new is that Jesus is now both the power and the pattern. That's why Jesus in John 13 says, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And John 13 starts at the beginning. Remember speaking of Jesus, says, Jesus, as he was getting ready to ascend and go to the cross, it says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Brethren, it's that Jesus that calls us to love and live and serve one another in his name as beloved brethren and family of Jesus, humbly, gladly engaging in service toward all, but especially toward one another. That's why Paul in Galatians 6, remember, says, if we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to the household of faith. 
even more so to them that are brethren in Christ. Those are your true countrymen, brethren, in the truest sense. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, that involves loving everyone, doing to them as you would have done to you, overcoming their evil and unbelief with your good towards them. But when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, that involves loving fellow believers especially and goes even beyond just loving your neighbor as yourself, doing good to those who do evil, blessing those who curse. Rather, Jesus' new command gives a new purpose. He says that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. That's what Jesus means then in Matthew 5 when he says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Brethren, what is that light? The light is the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn over sin. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who love mercy, those who crave purity in their heart and in the world, those who yearn for peace because they have known the peace of God, and those who are gladly, even willingly, willing to go persecution for Jesus' sake and rejoice and be exceedingly glad because they are the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world. That's Jesus in them, the hope of glory. That's where the good works and things come from, these loving one another as Jesus himself has loved us, Christ in them. So brethren, that's the love. And what you should see then is that means that this love is not a love in affections, it's not a love in word and action only. Verse 318, John says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, we've, we've all heard at one point, I'm sure, somebody say, well, you know, Steve, or, or, you know, love is more, it's just about what you do. I don't actually have to really have affection toward them. Now, I will grant you, brethren, there are times when there are people that are particularly unnaturally hard to love. And we do take up the basin and the towel, first of all, as a step of obedient faith. Right? We do. But brethren, I want to exhort you not to stop there. I want to exhort you that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And there's a reason Paul put that at the head of the list, because it's that one that colors everything that comes after that. The joy is a joy that flows out of love. The peace that we have in the Spirit is one that shows itself in acts of true love and affection because of how God has loved us. And we're patient, right? We're kind. We strive to do what is good and right, not to be self-righteous, but because we love Him who is the eternal good, because He is good. We strive to be faithful, not to add works to our salvation, but because of how faithful God is in His love toward us. We strive to exercise self-control because we don't want to tarnish the glory of Jesus before the world. We want to honor him. We want to have his life abiding in us, and that's a life that is under the control of the Spirit rather than the control of the flesh. That God may get the glory in all as an overflow in the sacrifice and offering of our love because we love him because he first loved us. Amen. Behold how great the love of Father toward us, that we should be called the children of God. There's the source. That's what John wants you to see today. Deep affection. Brother Steve, well, let me tell you, Steve, I, I love the brethren, but I'm going to acknowledge I don't always have the kind of affection I want. Welcome to the club. 
So what are you going to do about that? That's uh, just the way it is? No. Brethren, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, as we said earlier, the only obedience of faith, the righteous response of faith, is to say, oh God, the love that you, the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have in yourself, pour it into my heart. That's what Paul says, right? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Through whom also now we have access by faith unto this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not just that God would be glorified, but that God's glory would be shining in and through us. And therefore we boast. We boast in our tribulations because we know that tribulations, even persecutions, work character, Christ-like character. And character, as it comes, it increases our hope. We lay hold of eternal life. We are more resolute in the walk of faith to run the race set before us because of the hope that's set before us. And that hope does not disappoint. Why does Paul say? Because in verse 5, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Rather than the only obedience of faith is to say, Lord God, pour the love of Jesus. And I want to obey. I want to take up the basin and towel for all those that you have loved. I want to spend and be spent. But I want to do it because I've got out of sincere and earnest affection for them. And I want to do it out of affection for them because I have tasted and seen the affection that you have for me. The love, the passion that you have for my soul. Brethren, that's, that's the essence here. So just in quick then, let's just contrast the two ways. Point two, the way of Cain. John lays this out. The way of Cain essentially is it's despising God, despising God's word, despising God's people. John refers to, you know, the, the, uh, the way of Cain and those who are of the way of Cain as he said, the children of the devil, of the wicked one in this text. I'm not going to have you turn to John chapter 8, but you remember John in his dialogue, I mean Jesus in his dialogue there with the Pharisees, he says they, they were children of Abraham by birth, right, by lineage, and Jesus acknowledges that. He says, but the reality is, is that you are actually children of your father, the devil. Well, how do I know that? He says, because you can't hear my words. I've been sent from the Father. I came from Him with the words of eternal life, and you can't hear them. Your ears are stopped. Your eyes are blinded. They say you, we say, you say you see, but you don't see. You're unable to receive my word, not because I haven't just told you the truth, but because you can't receive the truth because you are of your Father the devil, and your hearts are blinded. Your hearts are hardened. And you're a deceiver, Jesus says. And they say, you, you love deceit, you love lies, you love living in unreality. It's not just that you live in darkness, but you like the darkness. Think John 3, right? This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. And they like their evil deeds, <laughs> they like the darkness. But he who does what is true, what is right, comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Brethren, that's exactly what John is talking about here. The way of Cain. Think about what we read earlier in, 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 Gen in Genesis 4. Cain. You know, the Lord had... Cain and Abel were brothers, and, and yet they, they both were doing their work. Cain working the ground. 
which is a perfectly righteous and noble thing in itself, right? Abel tilling, uh, so shepherding the sheep. It's not that God despised Cain because he was working the ground. No such thing. It's just that God said, if you're going to approach me, it's going to be through blood, through sacrifice, not through the things of your hands, not through the labors offering me your works, but it's going to be by atonement and sacrifice. So the Lord accepted Abel's offering as a substitute, whereas Cain came and tried to offer to the Lord not a substitute, but to offer him himself, and it was rejected. And you'll recall that the Lord favored Abel, and, and, and afterwards the, 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 the angel comes and says, Cain, why is your heart hardened? Remember, Cain, that sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. This idea of sin embodied and desiring, brethren, the idea is that there are demonic things you can't see that are pressing on for you right now, Cain. You should resist them. You should reject that. Have faith, Cain. Trust in the Lord and do. Follow the Lord. Worship the Lord the way He has appointed Cain. He will actually receive you and your fruit of your ground if you come to him with the sheep as a substitute, but only through the blood. God will be well pleased, but no, because Cain, the seed of the serpent, just like the serpent, just like the devil, what did the devil do? He was crowned in glory. The devil was one of the archangels, we're told in Ezekiel. He was at the very throne of God. And yet, he was not satisfied with being one of the glorious cherubim. And yet, he coveted, and he was angry, and he was unthankful that God would have the audacity to create a being higher than himself, that he wasn't the one who received everything, as if he was entitled to anything. And that same spirit covetousness, unthankfulness, greed that gives root then gives root when God favors somebody else over us when God lavishes kindness on them when God gives them a robe of many colors Joseph, brethren that same spirit is at work in the seed of the evil one just like Cain I want to ask you because this is where Steve goes from preaching to meddling here okay but brethren, I want to exhort you today pastorally to resist. Same word to Cain. Its desire lies at the door of your heart. You must resist it, but you do so in faith. You do so from a spirit of one who has been born anew. Brethren, when we give way to covetousness, when you give way to discontent and unthankfulness, looking, how dare God give somebody else something he hasn't given to me? How dare... The, the Lord, you know, put them up there and only put me here. You know what we do? We forget, first of all, that we're, we're still above so many. We forget that none of us has any right at all to exist to receive any good thing from the Lord. But isn't that the way coveting and, and, and bitter roots of envy and hatred work? They make you blind. You're like tunnel vision. You can't see all the goodness of the Lord because all you can see is what you're dissatisfied with. the way of Cain. 
And if not checked quickly, it will give root to bitterness. Hatred of the, that brother. Hatred of that brother that has more gifts than I do. Who's been more blessed financially than I have. Or who's got, a, a, a more, who's got more name recognition, more likes on Facebook. Who knows? Who the Lord has put in this position. And I'm, he's just made me a lowly servant. Brethren, I would rather, as the psalmist says... Rather be a, 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 a door guard at the pillars of the house of my Lord to be there than to live a thousand days, a thousand years elsewhere. Oh, brethren, I want to exhort you just to kill, kill covetousness, kill hatred, kill. That's what John meant earlier when he talks about the things of this world, the lusts of the flesh, right? The lust of the eyes coveting spirit, the pride, the arrogance of life that gives way to roots of envy and hatred and discontent, which then leads, as he says, to murder, if not outrightly like Cain, it leads to murder in the heart. It leads to hating the people of God, despising the very ones for whom Jesus shed his precious blood. You say, Steve, that's impossible. I assure you, brethren, I have been around long enough. I have seen so many who started well started the race well. You thought, man, they were just full of love, full of the love for God's people, and it seemed like it was exuding. But the cares of this world, the riches and and the things of the world, like Jesus talks about in Matthew 13, it comes in and chokes it out, and they begin to get bitter and envious, and the roots grow. And the next thing you know, the very ones who you thought loved the Lord, loved the brethren, you find out, that suddenly they're cursing and hating the Lord. They've walked away and they're posting all kinds of nasty, vile things on social media and all over the world about this. And it's full-blown apostasy. And you say, how does that happen? Brethren, you don't just wake up. You don't just wake up one morning and go from lover of Christ to apostasy. That's why Hebrews 2 says, take heed lest you drift away. Little by little, increment by increment. Brethren, if you are in Christ, you have been bought with a price. You are dead to the world, and the world is dead to you. The way of Cain is dead to you, and you to it. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. That's what Romans 8 says about you. Believe it, it's true. You are not dead, except dead to the world, but you are alive in newness of Christ. You have the God who, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, God is love. He dwells in you, and you in him. That's why John says, brethren, let us love one another. Love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God, knows God. He that doesn't love, he that does not have affection for the brethren, can't possibly be indwelt with and know that God. Now again, it grows by degrees. Say, Steve, are you telling me that unless I have deep, impassioned zeal day by day that I'm not a Christian. I'm not saying that. I am saying that if you know the Lord, you're going to ask the Lord to grow that in you. You're going to want it. It'll be something they just say, Steve, I want my affections to follow my actions. Sometimes I may start in faith by getting down and taking the basin and the towel, but Lord, would you bring my affections along because I know you love these people even more than I do and you have loved me so deeply which then leads to the last, the way of Christ. We'll close with this. Look what he says here. 
Oh, before we, that last part, I just want to read you a quote I read from Doug Wilson. I think he sums this up about Cain very well in the last point. Doug said this, We are not to be like Cain. John makes plain that the devil was the motivation behind the murder of Abel. As clear as can be. Cain, he says, was literally derived from out of the evil one. So in passing, we also should note that this means that the devil was very present right there. He was knocking at the door of the heart, and he is too with us. We must not let him in, for he has no place in the temple and the house of the Lord. The murder that Cain did revealed the antithesis. Why did Cain commit the murder? Because he was evil and his brother was righteous, favored, chosen. Because he had faith. And the necessary antipathy must always exist between the two. That's what John means when he says, Brethren, don't be surprised in verse 13 if the world hates you. There's an antipathy between Cain's seed and God's seed. There is no way it can ever be papered over. Because of this antithesis, we have clear assurance. John does not traffic in grace. I want to say that again. John does not, and the Holy Spirit of God does not traffic in grace. He speaks of Christ and of antichrists. He speaks of love and hate. He speaks of righteousness and unrighteousness. He is not the apostle of splitting the difference. Brethren, it's certainly true that within the Christian faith, as we've seen earlier in chapter 2, there are those who are little children, those who are growing in faith to young men, and some of us who aspire someday to be fathers. But brethren, I want to exhort you. Say, you know, Steve, do you desire, do you yearn to love your brethren as Jesus has loved them? Do you love and yearn for your affections to be more conformed to the affections that Jesus demonstrated towards you, that the Father has towards you. Because, brethren, that is the source and the power, the pattern and the power for what we are called to do for one another. And John says, in closing then, he says, by this we will assure our hearts before him. Look at that last verse, 19. By this we will assure our hearts before him. They, sorry. We want to have assurance, deep-seated assurance, comfort. We know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him when we love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth with sincere affection. And we do that, verse 16, because He laid down that's how we know this love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives, our goods, our time, our energy. Spend and be spent for people who Jesus loves, especially for you all here in this congregation. But brethren, I want to exhort you. Part of what drives us and compels us to seek good relations and unity even with saints in the area who are outside of this church is because we actually have the love of Christ poured into our hearts for all of the people of God, right? Love cannot remain siloed unto itself. If we've tasted the love of Christ and I have a brother, sister, family in the Lord who over at a Bethany community and at First Baptist, at Redeemer Presbyterian, Grace Presbyterian, 
people that love Jesus. Maybe our theology differs on some matters, and that's not trivial and insignificant, but brethren, they are indwelt with the Spirit of Christ. They have been bought with a price. How can we not love them? How can we not yearn for their fellowship and their joy as we have received? So brethren, I just want to close with that. Brethren, behold again the love that God has lavished upon us, that you and me should be called the children of God, that each of you who know him or in him should be called the children of God. And then I close with Jesus' commandment. Brethren, this is my command to you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I myself have loved you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what, a, what an amazing thing it is to be captured by the love of God, to be seized by your great affection. Father, for all of us who are in Christ, from the youngest to the oldest, we have been seized by that affection, whether we are fully aware of it or not. My prayer for each of us, Father, in the name of Jesus, is that you will so lay hold of our hearts and take them for your own, that you will pour the love of Christ into us such that, such that showing the love of Christ in word and in deed with sincere affection, just sincere desire for good, would be the fruits of the Spirit in us and would just come out of us. And that all the other fruits of the Spirit would follow but the greatest of these is love. So, Father, for your holy name's sake, do it. Make us a people, every one of us. Make us a people. Fill us with the Spirit of God. Pour from on high. Make us a people that are captured by the love of God and who therefore cannot help but love one another fervently, zealously, truly, even as you have loved us as Jesus himself showed us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.